Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Well, well, we are back at Clearly Speaking, the podcast here on a kind of a holiday episode. I know. At last. Here we are. Getting so close to the the Christmas birth of Jesus is coming I around the know. corner. <laughs> you had to really think about I that I had to one think about which holiday it was. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> listeners out there. Um, yeah. But yeah, the you know, baby Jesus is going to be born in a couple of days. And I am dressed accordingly. You I'm are. I'm wearing my holiday spirit. You definitely are. Sparkling reindeer and, yeah. and even Sequined. Iggy Pop, who's with us today, is wearing a holiday sweater. And yeah. Uh, describe Iggy Pup to our listeners well, who Iggy aren't Pup. watching the YouTube video right now. <laughs> Iggy Pup is the cutest Yorkshire Terrier you will ever meet. He uh, is oh, eight pounds of fluff and fur. And today he's wearing this adorable little sweater that's got a plaid Christmas tree on it. And oh, it's, its yeah. ornaments are little doggy bones. And Iggy Pup has his own Instagram, doesn't he? He, you know what? He has his own Facebook page. Oh, his own Facebook page. Yes, yes. Okay. Iggy Pup's world. So so they can find him on on his Facebook. They can page. friend him. Yeah. Okay. I thought I saw him on uh, on a uh, Instagram. I. You know what? I were you toying it with was, it? I, <laughs> he might have an Instagram page. I just you know I'm terrible at it. You leave Clearly. him at home during the day. You don't really know what he does he while you're off at work. <laughs> yeah. You have to limit his screen time. You have to say no. Take the phone away. You can't have all of these social media accounts. Iggy Pup, you're a dog. <laughs> yes, yes. He's very social, though. Yeah. Well, if any, uh, if any Yorkie has all of those things, it would be Iggy Pup. Oh, very much Definitely. so. Yes. So he's here with us. That's celebrating the holidays. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. we also have a wonderful guest with us today, and I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce her. Oh, I'm Emily. so excited to welcome Nikki Gorowski. Did I say that right, by you the way? You got it. Ha, ha, ha. It's a little, it's tricky. It's a tricky last it's name. It's very tricky. Yes, but I'm excited to welcome her to our table today. We're going to get into how we met here in a little bit. She's just an amazing woman, and I cannot wait for everybody to meet her. But uh, true to form here, we should start by introducing our wine of the day. Absolutely. I yes. can't wait. So mm-hmm. today we are going to South Australia for our wine. Oh my. This is a Shiraz Viognier blend from 2016 called the Shook. The Shook, by the way, that's uh, a word for chicken. So an Australian slang or something. I guess, yeah. Okay. I, I, I would assume that okay. Okay. <laughs> that would be the case. So this is a, a nice, tasty little wine. We found it um, at the wine merchant where we normally go to grab our wines for the podcasts. I, you know, I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts on this, ladies. I. I found this to be very interesting on the nose. It's really savory. Uh, I find a lot of spices, cured meats, and black olive on the nose. And to taste, I'm finding a lot of blackberry and blueberry and leather and cassis. What do you think? I found this, to me, this surprised me that this was from South Africa. Oh, that's just Australia. Oh, uh, yes. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Okay. South, okay. South Australia. Yeah. South Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, you said you had this one sitting for a while. I did. I let this one open up. I, I read some recommendations on this, and people were saying, give this a good, you know, 20 to 40 minutes, which is what I gave it. Okay. I gave it 40 minutes. Okay. And what do you think? Does it need more time? I, I th- You know, I am such the wine connoisseur, <laughs> and... Um, I could probably, I think probably by the time we finish this episode, it'll be perfect. It'll be perfect. It's really dense. Yeah. Um, and it's, I guess, you know, I, I overheard you discussing this or talking about the wine and how it kind of just felt like really tight and mm-hmm. you wanted to let it breathe a little bit. So got me thinking and I had, I've had a few sips of it already and it's kind of like right now. It's it's the Spanx that are really tight, oh, but yeah. over a little bit of time, the Spanx is gonna like m- like mold out to you, and you'll be able to breathe again. Okay. So okay. Th- I I know we usually talk about panties, but this is kind of like they're Spanx. It's right. It's a Spanx. You know, like a 
mean it. What what? That's like such a brand, but people know what Spanx is. Spanx are right. Of Nikki, course, you've yes. heard of them. Everybody right? knows what Spanx. Every are. everyone knows what Spanx are. Even the guys. Yeah. 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 yeah that's they, true. they go really. You're wearing your Spanx again. <laughs> <laughs> my spanks. I'm going to the grocery store. <laughs> it actually helps me not buy everything in the grocery store because I can't breathe. This is a, not a sofa day. It's a Spanx day. Right. It's not a sofa Netflix day. It's going to yes. have to be get out there and see, see the world Spanx day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, um, right now, that's my okay. my feeling towards the wine. But I'm sure I'll get a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. As it opens up, As it the Spanx will come off. <laughs> Or the Spanx will just let go a little bit mm-hmm. so you can inhale mm-hmm. and exhale. Okay. <laughs> and you won't walk like you're, you know, the uh, uh, in the in the nutcracker, the toy soldiers. You won't be like won't be like them. <laughs> anyway, that's where I am now and All right. All and right. That's after a few sips. Okay. Well we'll check back with you on that in a little bit. Nikki, what do you think? What do you taste in this wine? Okay, so you're both so eloquent about wine, and I know nothing about wine, and I'm an attorney, and I'm supposed to be good with words, but basically what I'm going to say is I like it. <laughs> so you Fair wouldn't, wouldn't cross-examine this wine? I would not cross-examine the wine. I think it's just fine the way it is. <laughs> Perfect. Wonderful. That's great. Well, you introduced your profession, um, but Nikki has a really particularly fascinating uh, focus with her practice. She focuses on victims of sexual assault. And uh, her history and how she came to open her own practice is just absolutely fascinating. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we want to dive into sure. that yet. Well, but. you know, we were recommended to, to meet you and talk mm-hmm. to you by, um, was it? Josh. Josh. Josh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Josh which is Josh. A, Josh yeah, is, Josh is Josh this, and the wine merchant are kind of like this this theme that continues to yeah. weave itself through our So for those who podcast. don't know who Josh is, Josh is the founder of a place in St. Louis called Medici, which is this wonderful co-working collaborative place. So with a focus on media arts, right? Some Well, they definitely have a lot of people in okay. marketing and media, but it's not limited to. There's about okay. 250 well, I'm a member, companies actually, and I just do law and I know nothing about the creative arts. <laughs> So I would say anyone can be a member. Okay. Okay. At Medici. So we had you to lunch to talk to you a little bit, get to know you a little bit more. That's and right. I remember walking away from our lunch just completely, totally blown away with like the amazing work you do and the stories you have and that you were just right here in St. Louis and what a resource you you are. And I've just thought about it and thought about it. And I've even like bragged no, maybe the brag's like the wrong word. That sounds a little, but like been um, boasting about, oh, wait till you have, wait till you listen to this episode. We're going to have yeah. this, this attorney named Nikki on. And um, because I couldn't pronounce your last name, but you're, you're, this, <laughs> no attorney, you're this attorney named Nikki in, in St. Louis. And of course, because no one can pronounce my last Garofsky. name. I named my firm after Garofsky. <laughs> but um, so I was very excited about. What we talked about, it made me reflect on a lot of things, even in the few weeks since it's been, the different things have come out in the, in the news. Oh but, my gosh, some of the things that have happened in St. Louis alone. St. Louis alone. And, yeah, I, and right? I just, if you would give our, our listeners, because I, I think I would not give you justice, uh, uh, like a quick paragraph or shorter, but really your focus and a little bit about but your background. Sure. So I represent... Um, victims of crime in civil lawsuits. So um, the difference between a civil lawsuit and a criminal lawsuit, a lot of people don't know. Um, A criminal lawsuit is when you go to the police after something happens to you and the police write a report and take it to the prosecutor and the prosecutor represents the state and the prosecutor decides if the state is going to bring charges against the perpetrator of that crime um, and whether or not they're going to try to put someone in jail or prison. Mm. Um, in civil lawsuits, uh, basically, it's a lawsuit against a person or an institution uh, for monetary damages um, to get back, to make you whole for the wrong that w- was done to you. Mm-hmm. And do they have to have been charged with a crime to be able to be sued civilly like that? No. Okay. No. And a lot of times, um, 
you know, a lot of times people are coming to me because um, justice was not done in their criminal case. Um, so anyway, I was a criminal prosecutor for many years, uh, 10 years to be exact. Um, I first was a state prosecutor and then I was a federal prosecutor. And I focused on crimes, uh, sex crimes against adults and uh, crimes against children. Oh, so wow. including childhood sexual abuse, child physical abuse. And, uh, and you did all, that for 10 years? I did for mm-hmm. 10 years. It also included child pornography and um, internet crimes. So um, that was some pretty heavy work. Um, but I really learned how to um, work with survivors and become trauma-informed, meaning um, learning how to deal with survivors in a way that doesn't cause additional harm. Right. Um, And so then I went out um, from the criminal world and went into private practice doing civil cases where I would help people um, bring civil cases against perpetrators and institutions that harbored those perpetrators. Um, if you're looking for an easy example, um, a child abuse, abusive priest and the Catholic church okay. or a school teacher that, um, commit sexual assault and, and then school suing the school district as well. Um, so doing that kind of work. And I did that, um, in a law firm for, um, seven or eight years. And then just in the last six months, I decided I was ready to start my own law firm and doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am now. Mm. How do people find you? You know, that is such an interesting question because everybody asked me that and I am not sure how everyone is finding me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's in a variety of ways. I'm getting um, referrals from other attorneys. I think a lot of times um, people will call an attorney that's just a friend mm-hmm. um, and say, this is what happened to me. What do I do? And that attorney will be like, uh, you know, blank, right. blank stare. Yeah, like that's so out of my right. Purview. I don't do that. I don't know how, but I know somebody. Right. So that attorney will find me. I've gotten a lot of referrals that way. Um, I'm also part of a national network of attorneys called the National Crime Victims Bar Association, um, which is a network of attorneys across the country where we all do this work and we all support each other um, and help each other out when need be. Um, so I think some people find me through that. Um, And I think, you know, when I do some of these cases on, you know, unfortunately, because many of them are so shocking, they get media attention Mm -hmm. and then people fry me from that, from being in the media. So how do you, how do you protect yourself emotionally in these cases? It's really, really hard. Um... And so I've been doing this a really long time, right? I'm on my 18th year now. Did you like want to go in and focus on this even as a prosecutor? Did you say, I want to do sex crimes? Or was it one of those, like you just sort of, this is your assignment and now you, you've you been in it for 18 years? Yeah, so um, I always knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. Um, I, you know, I was a crime victim when I was a child in two different ways. Um, I was bullied as a child um, because of some pretty serious anti-Semitism where I grew up. And so I suffered some physical abuse as a result of that. And then also my home was burglarized when I was a kid and we were home. And um, that How had old a, were you? When, I was eight. Oh, my gosh. And that yeah. had a huge effect on me. Apparently, I didn't sleep. I mean, my parents had to go to psychiatrists to learn how to fix me, <laughs> I oh guess. Oh, my gosh. Because I wouldn't sleep, and they would go to bed and find me on their floor in the morning because I was just terrified. So, um I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. I knew I had a special place in my heart for children mm-hmm. who have been crime victims because I've just never wanted anyone as a child to feel that um, feeling of not being safe that I felt. Did you feel that um, being a prosecutor, you had an opportunity to control the environment too with like this for the for the victims as much as you can control it? You know, like be able to take some of that uh, vulnerability, that anger that you may have been harboring way down low from what happened to you as a child. Yeah, that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. And well, as soon it as is this wine. It, happens. it is. Yeah. It takes us all kind of places here. <laughs> right. But the second you say that, it absolutely fits. I mean, first of all, I'm a type A personality, so controlling, you know, just fits. Um, but the other thing is there's a part of me that just wants to stand up to a 
bullies yeah. mm-hmm. for a living. I mean, it's just um, any bullies anywhere just really make me ill. So, oh my gosh, you must yeah. just be crazy today in this administration. Day, this administration <laughs> right. and this, like, you know, just in our environment right You're now right. as things are. You're right. You could, you could like, walk down the street probably and, you know, won't be like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood where everybody's like, hey, how are you? Won't you be my neighbor? It's more like, you know, with all the antagonists antagonizing. Oh, yeah. Yes. A lot of different hate crimes going on and they seem to be they kind of feel to me like they're on the rise. I don't know if that's real or not. But I think it's real. I, yeah. I definitely think it's real. I think um, there's a um, a lack of empathy that is going on from mm-hmm. the top down in our country right now and it is leading to some of these hate crimes. The lack of empathy is a big problem. I'm also curious if um, just as a society, we're getting a little bit desensitized because we're our it's our our news is just flooded with this negative information every day. every day there's something, something new, yeah. I think it's I mean, it, to me, it's absolutely shocking. And for some reason, um, with all the things that I've done in my career and everything like that, I can't become desensitized to it. So some days I literally just can't watch the news. Some I days I turn on the TV and especially, you know, children being separated from their parents at the oh, border or things like that. I just, I can't even watch it. I can't, like literally my brain won't handle it. Um, well, and because you also know that there's like a solution, there's like legal solutions to these things. And you're like, why aren't they doing this? So this is what you have to do X, Y, Z. Why are we, you know, I bet because of your history, because you were a federal prosecutor, right? right? So you're familiar with how things should be. Right. So that would be a frustration to see it and like not even happening. Right. And so, you know, there's in some sense, there's such a hopelessness. But, you know, when I was prosecuting, there was a part of me that felt calm in that sense because I felt like, okay, well, I'm doing something. I'm doing something about it every single day. And today um, in my work, I still feel like, okay, well, I'm doing something. I'm doing something every single day. I'm not just sitting around complaining. I'm out there working to try to make things better. Even if I'm, um, you know, not, um, you know, doing everything in my work that I can do, you know, at least I'm, you know, sharing information and putting out blogs and things, everything that I can do to try to, um, not even necessarily in a partisan way, but to show that we are just having such a lack of empathy in our country and that that needs to change. That makes me physically feel better that I'm actually doing something about it. You don't, feel, right. you don't feel as helpless as yeah. if you weren't doing those kind of things. Right. Yeah. So yeah. actually that, Doing this work helps me more than not doing this work, if that makes sense. Of course it does. does. You're not just complaining about it. You're being an agent of change. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. That makes a lot of sense to me. Let's uh, take a quick break. Yeah. Because when I come, when we come back, well, first of all, I'm out of uh, my Spanx are loosening up a little bit. We have a little (laughs) bit more, uh, more of our, the Shook from South Australia. But when we come back, I really would like, to talk with you some more about the you shared with us that one case you had with the young woman that just kind of gutted you when the when the outcome and I, if you don't mind we could talk a little bit about when we come back sure okay okay cool. All right. we'll be right back we'll be right back All right, welcome back. Our glasses are full, and we're getting ready to dive a little bit deeper into this conversation. So before we left, Michelle, you had um, reminded Nikki of a conversation that we had earlier where she was shared with us a kind of a, a pivotal case. case. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Did you give us a little summary for our listeners? Sure. Um, a few years ago, I had a case of a Catholic priest in St. Louis, and I'm going to be very careful not to name names if yeah. that's okay with that's everyone, fine. Um, who had sexually assaulted a young woman, um, although I say woman, she was a minor, um, in St. Louis, and um, we- You were the prosecutor on this case? I was not the prosecutor. I was civil attorney okay. at the time. Okay. So we sued the perpetrator. We sued the archdiocese. And we went to trial and we lost. Oh, wow. And How um, long did this process take? Um, 
Three years. Okay, so was she still a minor by the time the decision had come down? She was not. A Do you minor think that anymore. impacted the outcome? I always think that impacts the outcome when mm-hmm. you're um, when you're talking about sexual abuse of a minor, and then a jury sees a woman yeah. sitting. At, I mean, first of all, we deal with so much gender discrimination to begin mm-hmm. with, right? And mm-hmm. juries are so difficult, especially women on juries. Um, the statistics say that women who are on juries in sexual assault trials are some of the most difficult jurors to convince because women apparently want to tell themselves, well, I would never have been in that situation. I would have oh done things gosh. differently. I would never have let that happen. Or um, if they're older, they want to say, well, you know, my teenage daughter, you know, I would have killed her if she was doing that. She would have known better. Um, so it's like this denial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, you can't entirely blame people. I mean, it's self-protective, and it, right. it's just a part of the brain that does that to us. We've seen the shaming that happens right. when women finally stand up. Well, right. I mean, you could see that with the, um, you know, the Kavanaugh? confirmation hearings. Right? Yeah. Of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and and— I was so hopeful when that happened that, okay, now we're going to see that our country has gotten better. And it just turned out that it hasn't gotten any better. It was Anita Hill all The dialogue over is there now. Right. I, I do see that shifting. More and more yeah. people are talking openly right. about these issues. Right. So anyway, when we had this trial and we lost, obviously, um, obviously it's not about me, right? It's about mm-hmm. the other people in the case and the and the the victim who was harmed. Um, but it affected me so greatly. Um, I could, I had a hard time getting out of bed for a very significant amount of time. And, um, really, it was like if you had somebody close to you had died, I guess when you're like, it, you're, you were grieving. I was grieving. There's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. I fully believe I know the truth yeah. And I know what happened, and I fully believe the bullies won that day. Mm. Right. And um, so you're 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 hurting for a lot of reasons, really. Yes, it's, for the child, mm-hmm. for the family, for the state of affairs in the world, for the fact that the archdiocese was able to hire the type of lawyers that you know are the kind of lawyers that would defend Exxon in an oil spill, mm. or mm-hmm. um, for the, for the Catholic community out there that believes that their church doesn't do things like this. I grieved for all of that. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't recover for a long time. So what do you do to pull yourself out of that? Do you get help? Do you talk to other attorneys or professionals that are in this industry? Like, how do you pull yourself out? So, um, yes, I I get therapy periodically. I think that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um But the other thing that happened was I went to a conference um, for attorneys who do work like I do, and um, there was a lawyer who gave uh, a presentation on losing the biggest trial of his life. And he said, you know, we all talk about the ones we win, and we never talk about the ones that we lose. And his was a similar story. I mean, I don't think it was quite... No, I take it back. It was a very serious accident with, I think, someone who was debilitatingly injured Mm -hmm. and that he had lost. And he talked about how he spun into alcoholism Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, really had a hard time recovering. And he had written a book. And so, of course, as soon as the presentation was over, I, like, made a beeline up to this guy. And I said to him, this could not have been more timely in my life. Yeah. And, um... He took down my name and my information, and he sent me a copy of the book, and um, that really helped. Yeah, to to feel like, yes, everybody goes through this. It's just that nobody talks about it. Um, and I really held that client dear mm-hmm. to me, um, and that helped. Um, Do you still keep in touch with her? How's she doing? She is. Probably this will sound weird too, but she's probably able to compartmentalize it a little better than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I feel like she's doing pretty well now. She's like I said, she's very young. Mm -hmm. And so you never know when these things are going to pop up in her life. You know, her first, um, you know, dating experiences, her first sexual experiences, her her marriage proposal, trust issues, serious relationships. These things are all going to pop up in her life. Um, So. You know, I don't know if it's even fully hit her. It sounds like she she was in your heart like a child would be. Like and, exactly. and as you continue to feel for her and and probably all of your clients, like you worry about them and you want the best for them as like a, any parent would. Exactly. So it sounds completely reasonable mm-hmm. that you would have reacted the way you did to losing that case because there you are. How could I protect you? I can't. I I I lost this and now right. I don't know how to protect you otherwise. But I also have to be careful because I have to learn how to set boundaries. Yeah. Right. And I have. But the thing is, if I didn't care, I wouldn't be passionate and I wouldn't do a good job. So, you know, it's a very difficult line. Yeah. Was um, in this particular relationship, was this um, a one time incident or was it a repeating offense? Okay, Um, it's it was um, emotionally a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. There was a long, <clears throat> excuse me, grooming process and um, a lot of talk about, I want to marry you, I'm going to run away with you. Mm-hmm. A lot of the brainwashing oh, kind of stuff. And he was a priest. Yes. Was- um, the sexual activity was a one-time thing mm-hmm. and they were caught. So I think that was probably part of the problem with the case mm-hmm. was that um, the jury had a hard time believing it was just this one time and it was just this, I'm going to put it in quotes here because you can't see me on the podcast, <laughs> but this one minor incident, right, right. <clears throat> even though the emotional effect on her was massive. Yeah, right. And then mm. it also gets into these areas of consent too i mean even though she's a minor i mean minors can't consent okay well then that makes by it by law pretty... by law okay by law yes yeah yeah wow wow well i am i'm very pleased and i'm this is terrible that's not the right word i'm, I'm happy that you were able to <laughs> found a way out to to <clears throat> recover and continue to to pursue this passion because as we know we look in the the headlines every day there's somebody new that's out there that's getting you know assaulted and and I read about um you know this Webster Groves doctor who had been molesting his patients his sports medicine doctor and he uh got 90 days in jail and 5 years probation and I think he had like 16 or 17 counts yeah, how is him. that That's even possible? You know, what and I it was think a female it, judge, and I'm like, what you know the what hell? I think that is, and that used to happen with the child pornography cases too. Oh you gosh. know what I think, and this is somewhat controversial, but I think there's an underlying racism to it because a lot of the sex offenders are white, and mm. they look like upstanding citizens, and they stand in front of a judge who's white and is an upstanding citizen, and the judge looks at that person and says, "But you look like me. How can I put you?" Mm-hmm. In jail. In prison. Somebody had commented on my Facebook today when I posted that about that Webster Groves doctor, and he, his response was um, St. Louis's own Brock Turner. You know, yes. it's like, why are we going to ruin this guy's life? You know, we'll give him six months in jail or whatever. And I think that's that's where I have a really hard problem when I hear people say, why do we want to ruin his life yes. oh, for well, that one thing or that one thing he may or may not have done? And it's yes. so hard for me to... And yet we well, don't have any problem ruining someone's life if they're African American and they stole something from Walmart. Or right. they have they have, you know, an ounce of weed or something on them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, I think there's an underlying racism to it. Mm-hmm. Why well, you don't have any argument for me there yeah. mm-hmm. at all. Um we were talking about some other higher profile um, cases going on in the world. And yeah. this is such a lovely, lovely um 
holiday episode I we're know. having. You know, I just think I think it's so great right before Christmas. I think Debbie Downer. Everybody's gonna open their presents on <laughs> yeah. a few days. They're gonna go. I'm so glad they told us about this wine. I need this wine that they're drinking just to get through after they listen to it. But it's so important. You know, it's so important. We do talk about it about these things, and um, yeah, you know, we can't. We can't help when we, um, well, maybe we can, but anyway, we, we didn't want to put you off any longer. We so, so enjoy talking with you, yeah. Nikki. Um, but I I wanted to bring up not only the Webster Groves doctor, but, you know, right before Thanksgiving here in St. Louis, there was the horrible uh, murder that occurred at the Catholic supply store when that piece of uh, human flesh walked in. <laughs> And that was very kind, Michelle. That was. I saw you, you searching yeah. for the, you know, yeah. non-swear word right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it yeah. was um, all I could do. Thankfully, the Spanx are still holding me in. <laughs> um, walked into the Catholic supply store, you know, yeah. sodomized, made these women do these things, and then he shot the one who didn't. He killed right. the woman who refused. And we talked about this the other night. We, women, you, you're afraid to say no, when you're in a situation like that, you know, and if you have a woman on the jury that goes, well, that wouldn't happen to me. Right. That woman said no, and she's dead. Yeah. Yep. And she was she's in the Catholic supply dead. store. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, where can you go? That you- So many of my cases, the women who come to me will say, well, I didn't even say no. I just froze. Right. Right. I just froze. I was so terrified. And I just, and that is rape. That is rape. Mm-hmm. And if for people who don't understand that, this is the perfect example mm-hmm. because this woman said no and she was killed. This is why women are afraid. This yeah. is why women do freeze during sexual mm-hmm. assaults. This is a learning experience, you know, the most horrendous learning experience you could ever imagine. But this is a learning experience for everyone in our community about what happens um, but what does have, it say? Does it say to us, okay, just give in? Because if you do say no, no he's going to shoot you in the head. I'm not saying that okay. at all. But okay. what I'm saying is that when women go to trial and they're having a sexual assault trial and they say, I just froze. That our people in our community who sit on these juries need to understand right. that it's things like this that happen and that we listen to on the news every day mm-hmm. that cause that to happen and that you sitting there and judging and saying, well, I wouldn't have frozen. I would have spoken up. I would have stood up. I would have gotten out of there. I would have said no is not the answer. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the learning experience. Right. Hmm. I'm curious. I want to kind of go backwards a little bit in our conversation. Um, You know, we've talked about how you, you've dealt with uh, cases with child pornography and you've represented you know, victims that have been assaulted many times and so forth. And so I'm, I'm wondering, um, what are some signs that parents can see that maybe something's happening to my child, that maybe they're too afraid to tell me that something's sure. going on? And, and what's, what's, the, what's a good approach to have a conversation where they feel safe and feel like they can share that information? Because I'm sure many are confused and scared. Sure. So um, my thought is that those conversations need to start really young. Um, the The best thing that you can do to um, make sure that you have a child that's willing to tell when something inappropriate happens is to start out having a good relationship with your child when they're very young. So one of the things that I always um, talk to parents about, and I do give lectures to parents in schools and, and people, um, is that even starting from the moment that children can talk and you're giving your child a bath, um, you point to the body, body parts. What's that? Oh, that's your hand. Oh, what's mm-hmm. that? That's my head. Mm-hmm. And then what's that? Well, that's your penis. Um, we just talk and we take the taboo out of the names of body parts because... Mm-hmm. It's not the hoo-hoo. It's, right, right. Exactly, right? Because... It's the taboo about everything related to sex and everything related to our bodies that keeps perpetrators, it allows perpetrators to, to know that their people who are they are assaulting are not going to tell because they are afraid to use those words and they know that mom and dad don't hear that kind of talk and mm. that we don't talk about those things in our house. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I say start that very early from the moment a child can talk. 
And, um, you know, so start naming the body parts. And I used to do that with my kids. You know, every time we took a bath, we would talk mm-hmm. about that. And um, not scaring the kids, just let's just yeah. name the body parts. And um, then, you know, as they get a little bit older, we talk about scenarios. What happens if you get lost in the mall? What, you know, yeah. what do you what do you do? What would happen if, you know, someone tried to do this? And I we know. just I... kind of run through those scenarios. But again, not trying to scare your kids. Well, I tried to scare mine when a little bit because wasn't it uh, uh, Walsh, uh, uh, America's Most Wanted guy, his With son, his son, mm-hmm. they, he was got lost in like the Target or something or the Walmart, and then they or not lost but got like separated, and these kids were messing about and the, the and they got in trouble like some older kids and the security guard just like pushed all the whole group outside. You know what? I don't remember exactly yeah. that the like Adam six. Walsh story, but I know he was very young. And yes, then somebody took him right outside the parking lot. And it's terrifying. Because he got separated from his parents. But one of the things that um, generally I, I try to explain to kids is that, yes, we need to be careful around strangers. And I teach them instead of tra- stranger danger, I teach what are tricky people. Mm. Right, oh. so there are some there are some tricky people in this world, because right, some strangers are fun to talk to. Some strangers mm-hmm. are perfectly nice, and with your when you're with mom and dad, and mom and dad make you know small talk with the person behind them in the target line. Right, uh, your kids get very confused. Right, I thought right. we weren't supposed to talk to strangers. I don't really talk about that because I think that's confusing. We talk about tricky people. There are some people in real life or on the internet who may pretend that they're someone that they're not. Um, adults don't generally ask kids for help. Adults usually know what they're doing. Um, so if an adult asks you to get in their car and help them find their dog, there's right. that's a tricky person. Um, so we talk about tricky people. Sounds um, like it would be a good children's book. <laughs> no, I think there, there are books about are that. There? You can yeah. certainly find books about that for your children if you have a hard time sort of coming up with this stuff on your own. Yeah. And then a lot of um, us women need to know about tricky people too, right? As grownups, you absolutely. Know? You know, we've had a couple podcasts on some tricky, uh, tricky yep. men in all relationships. Have. All types of <laughs> vulnerabilities out there. That's absolutely right. Um, Not well, to make light of the subject. Yeah, at talk all. about the sociopaths among us. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> oh my so she don't make me afraid to leave the house. Sorry, but as long as I have the Hallmark <laughs> Channel, I can watch sorry. my feel-good Christmas movies. That'll be enough, right? But these are ways of empo- <laughs> these. I mean, I actually look at this as a positive thing. These are ways of empowering kids to be strong and take care of themselves without, you know. Yeah. Let's just pass out the guns, um, oh. right. right? So right. let's not arm our teachers. Let's let's give our kids, you know knowledge to understand what is happening and what's going on and so we talk about tricky people um and we run through those scenarios every once in a while and my my kids would get annoyed i know mom if i get lost (laughs) in the mall you know this is what i do um i told my kids that we have to they have to always be able to see me yes as long as we can Mm -hmm. connect i make eye contact we'll be okay but if i couldn't see them i would start to call their names and I would just start calling their names out. And and likewise, yeah. if they mm-hmm. couldn't see me, then they just need to start saying, Wait, Mom, Mom. Did that apply to also being at home? And like in your in your neighborhood, playing outside? Oh, no. I just said, yeah. go ride your bike and <laughs> just yeah, say I let whatever. Yeah, my kids out to yeah. play. I yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did say things like, you know, don't get in somebody's car or whatever like that. But, you know, I do believe in it takes a village. Mm-hmm. Um, but, we, you know, we do. We, we watch out for, for things. Yeah. Well, um, well we... Let's take one more little pause here because I think there's one more story we'd like to take another dive into, and this would be a perfect time to make sure we have full glasses for that. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Um, So on our break, we talked about some of the Tricky People books. And so uh, we will make a point on our website to share some examples of, uh, you know, what uh, some of those, out yeah, there. some of those resources and some of those books that that uh, are recommended if you need help explaining tricky people to your children or to your loved ones, <laughs> or just if you need a refresher course um, out there for yourself on uh, what the tricky people are like. That's right. But we have um, again in the. Currently in the news, uh, probably the one of the trickiest people out there 
and uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, right? Is yes. his name? Yes. What do you know about that situation down in Florida? So I am so happy that this case is starting to get some attention because... This is something that I became familiar with years ago. Right. It's like it was in 2007. Right. Yeah. So there is an attorney who is a part of the um, national network that I'm a part of, of, and uh, he's a really good friend of mine. His name is Brad Edwards, and he's located in uh, Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, he gave a presentation on this case a number of years ago while he was actually still actively involved in it. And I'll just, you know, briefly tell some of the story because Mm -hmm. it's so fascinating. Basically, he started work at a brand new law firm. And oh, Brad did? Brad did. Okay. And Brad, Brad walks into the office one day, and um, his superiors tell him, go meet with this young woman in the conference room. She's 16 years old, and um, she has a victim's rights case. And, you know, they were this big, expensive firm. And they were like, look, you can do it pro bono. It's really probably nothing. Wow. Um, but go see what you can do. So he goes in there. And this 16-year-old girl starts telling him all about Jeffrey Epstein and and how she was sexually abused by Epstein. And he is a hedge fund billionaire. Hedge fund manager, has more money than I can't even imagine anyone in the United States having. He probably could have like his own little country. Yes, he has private planes, he has um, mansions, he has... You yeah, know, there is a, an incredibly place. fascinating article about this in the Miami Herald. Yes. If you want to, and Brad Edwards' picture is front and center okay. in the article. Okay. Yes. Okay. So anyway, Brad sits down with this young woman and just gets fired up about what after is going he goes on. and throws up. I hope because yes. it would made me nauseous well, reading it. Oh my god! And Brad was like me; he's an ex prosecutor. Okay. So what he learned, what this young woman was coming in and saying at sixteen, was, at sixteen. And she, you know, as many victims are, she was a vulnerable young woman who um, really was estranged from her entire family and was completely on her own and just showed up in this law office. So she had no one. Um, And I don't know. Is that that what made her a good target? Yes. That's absolutely right. Those those were his chosen targets. Yes. And um, what Jeffrey Epstein was doing was he was finding vulnerable victims. The younger, the better is Mm. literally what he would. He would tell them and he would invite them in and say, um, I will pay you so much money for a massage. And then when he would invite them in, then, you know, he would be on the massage table and then he would see as as far as he could go with the sexual abuse. And then he'd pay them more for oral sex or. Yeah. And these kids are. Well, these young Some girls of them as young as thirteen are, are yes. being applied with the money and the like the right. control and the power and the I would say like the glamour of this. You're in this yes. mansion and you're thirteen years old and you know you don't have a relationship with your parents. And then to make it even worse, oh, he man. would tell them, "I'll give you even more money if you go out and you recruit your friends." To oh. come in, like his own little version of multi-level marketing, right? Yeah, Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi mm-hmm. scheme, yeah. Basically, with child abuse, and he would um, sometimes abuse them in his mansion. Sometimes he would fly around on his private plane abusing these girls, and and he would provide girls for other really, really rich people. Where I was going, yeah. Trump is involved in this. Clint, Bill Clinton is involved in this. Isn't the Prince Andrew? Yes. There and, um, are a number Alan of... Alan Dershowitz, Alan I read. Dershowitz. And Alan Dershowitz was part of the legal team. So then they... Not ass- at Brad's, Brad's firm. No, okay. was part of Epstein's legal team. Okay. So what Alan Dershowitz did was make some kind of deal with the U.S. Attorney's Office down in Florida that never should have been allowed to happen. So... Through Alan Dershowitz, Jeffrey Epstein basically bought off the federal government, mm-hmm. basically um, creating this non-prosecution agreement and getting himself out of prison. Did he like even serve a year, maybe a year he on served, child pornography or something like that? It was something like a couple of months where he was given work release, which meant he got to get oh, out yeah. for 16 hours a day and go to his office and work and just oh come back God. to sleep. And where he slept, he actually <laughs> bought that wing of the prison Oh, and made it so that he was the only one there. 
It's like worse than what um, Narcos, what's his name, the Colombian drug lord, Pablo yes. Escobar, when yes. he built his own prison. Oh, this is like nothing I've ever, I mean, this offended me to the core. And you when knew about Brad, this in years 2007. Ago. Because this young woman came in and said, they never consulted me. I was a victim and the U.S. Attorney's Office never consulted me before making this deal. And I am a victim and I have rights. And mm-hmm. he went, yes, you do. We're going to do something. How many victims are are there? Many. I don't even think they've gotten a hand. I mean, I I think some of the investigation was bought off. So I don't think they ever got to all of the victims. And the U.S. attorney that that did the deal, he's now Trump's labor secretary. Yes. I'm so confused about what is going on with these powerful people. Like, why is there so often this element of... You know, of sexual assault, you know, Weinstein and all these people that are in these powerful. Yeah. I love that question. And here's why. Because if you think about it on its most basic level, it all comes back to this bullying. Bullying is about power and control. And sexual assault is about power and control. And what do these people all have? They have power and control issues. And Jeffrey Epstein is a perfect example of a power and control broker and that's where this comes from and there's an element of sociopathy oh i would think so that Mm -hmm. is in all of these people from you know from you know your um person who commits assault right and doesn't think that the other person sees the other person as an object Mm -hmm. to the person who commits sexual assault this is the same dynamic that is happening in the catholic church Right, because we're putting priests on a mm-hmm. pedestal and we're giving them power and control issues. Uh, the gymnast coach, yes, the gymnastics yeah. coach, and I know there's an, a, a a civil case going on now with a with a tennis coach out in Ladue who uh, weekly right. weekly sodomized and mm-hmm. and molested his uh, this one uh, young girl for four years. All power and, he and got, control issues. He got nine months in jail. Yeah. yeah, why are these sentences so small? Again, I mean, you think does. about like, you know, when you talk about losing a case and how how what an impact that can be. I think losses can come in multiple forms, and one of the forms is even though even though the person was found guilty, they get off with basically a slap on the wrist. Like that to me would frustrate Which is why me. You go then after them civilly if they yes. if the criminal doesn't happen. And that's I think that's ball. what's going on right now with the Epstein case. It's that's finally right. going to a civil trial, correct? Yes. I think it starts tomorrow. Ten years later? Right. Or eleven years later? Right. Here's the shame of that is that the victims have to be reliving this for so long. That's right. It's an absolute trial is it's hell for these people. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely revictimizing. And you should see, by the time you get to trial, the number of depositions and horrifying reliving and re-traumatizing events these people have gone through yeah. way before they ever even get to the trial. Yeah. Well, I think it needs to be a, a, way more publicized, and it's not. I, I mean, agree. I, I saw this little thing on Twitter, and then I went to read the the article in the Miami Herald, and I was like, holy cow, I'm thinking, I was like, oh, I'm so glad we're having Nikki on the show. We can talk about this. But I haven't seen anything else. Granted, yes. I have been out of, out of it's town. It's really getting around on social media, though. It is? Okay. And I, in, in fact, I, I posted it on my law firm website today, and I really um, hope that people are paying attention to this case in particular because this is— This goes way— It's huge. Way it's huge. Yep. And this man needs to pay and everybody that was connected to him. And I think that's what the non-prosecution agreement did, right? It made everybody who had ever taken part in his little sex games trafficking thing— A free pass, a get-out-of-jail right, free, that, without even naming them. Right. Siri. Oh. Yes. I've never seen anything like that. It's appalling. And I was a U.S. attorney. It's absolutely appalling. So you have to wonder where it went up in that Acosta's— Somebody approved it on Acosta, over Acosta, right? Somebody Maybe. had to. Like, I, mean, I don't know. You were, you know, someone in the Department of Justice knew about it. I'll bet. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Is this is this all at all linked in? You know, I've I've heard various 
rumors and stories about, you know, the the Johnny Gott story and how there's this kind of ring of um of pedophiles. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, it, it it at a very high high level, very high political level, big money that really perpetuate this and and cover this up and it's I mean I it it sounds a bit like a conspiracy story when you talk about it but it is one of those things that when you actually start kind of digging in and reading about it there's a lot of evidence out there that's very I don't necessarily think it's related I think you'd be shocked to know how many pedophiles there are in the world and not that I want to scare people Mm. but I think this kind of stuff is going on and people bury their heads in the sand and they don't want to know about it. Right. But this kind of stuff is, is going on around us. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Nikki. <laughs> Merry um, Christmas. Merry yes, Christmas. Sorry, Happy, Hanukkah. And, and, uh, Happy Kwanzaa. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a winter solstice <clears throat> thing we're supposed to say too, but... Um, well, the truth of it is we're here to not be afraid to have conversations that are difficult oh, no, and to no. ask tough questions and... Um, and hopefully, you know, through these conversations, provide some resources for people. So yeah. one of the things that we want to do is make sure to share your website. We'll make sure to do sure. that on our website if anybody. Blog. Yeah, if anybody sure. needs to reach out to you um, for advice, um, you know, What's we want to make sure that. My email is Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, at GorovskyLaw.com, G-O-R-O-V-S-K-Y-L-A-W.com. Fabulous. Thank you. And then we have a comment line if you would like to call and um, yeah, make if, a comment on today's episode absolutely. or anything else we have here on Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. Emily, if you have a go story with the number. To, yeah, if you have a story to share or a question for today, the number is 812-727-0794. And, uh, yeah, Follow we, us on social media. Subscribe, like us on all of the wonderful podcast <laughs> places where we are. We're everywhere. That's right. And um, and hey, you know what? Oh my gosh, yeah. It's almost Christmas and we didn't even well, talk about the fact that we have merchandise now. <laughs> right, so if you haven't bought that, you know, you're looking for that last minute gift, um, you can call us and email us. But we have coasters and we have water bottles and we have sweatshirts. All kinds of things. And um, all kinds yeah, of things for you your, do some shopping. For, for yeah. your family who, need, who needs our, our podcast merchandise. But oh, goodness. Anyway, uh, Nikki, again, yeah. You're fabulous, and I'm so, so pleased and, and grateful that you are here in our town providing the services that you do, even though it's it's hard and it takes a lot out of you. We are better Very as a community because you are here. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really hope that you can come back soon because I know that there's just so much, so much more that we can talk about that you're such a fascinating person above and beyond your work. So let's let's make sure to bring you back and we can dive into some of those other. I'd be happy to come anytime. Fantastic. Thank you. And thanks for listening. Happy holidays.